time, if you wouldn't mind, and turn to Romans chapter 14. While you're standing, I want to celebrate a couple things from the past week. I know we announced things leading up to it, and then sometimes when we pass it through the week, it's like, oh yeah, that happened last week, wasn't it? And so last week was kind of a busy week for us, and we mentioned that the interns were on their way, and they made it. So your prayers are answered for their safe travels. Brother Daniel and Brother Sean are up here on the front row or the second row up here in the teen section. They're helping out with the teens all summer long already. They've been a blessing. They met some of you as they did some yard sale pickups at your houses this week. Helped some people move out the branches, you know. So, so they helped a bunch of people and uh, already have met several Maybe you met them at the comedy night. That's the other thing that was just a great event for us this past Friday night. Brother Christian and Sarah put tons of work into that, the interns as well, and then several other uh, uh, volunteers that put lots of time into that, practicing for that. And it, You're always nervous going into an event like that. I know because I used to run it, and this year I just got to show up, and it was awesome. I enjoyed laughing at the skits, not stressing out about the kids, remembering their lines. I just thought, this will be great, and so... When, when I was doing it, I know the most rewarding thing about the comedy night was just hearing the church laugh. And it's not a spiritual event. It's not an activity that you, you go away being, um, you know, revived spiritually at all. But just to come together and laugh together was such a refreshing time. And it was so beautiful and precious to see that. So we'll be posting some of the videos about that from this past Friday night. And that was an enjoyable time. And then, uh, and then yesterday, several church members came out and we just did... Uh, a work day. Basically, Brother Santiago's goal was to get that parking lot looking like Disneyland. So, man, we trimmed every bush out there, all the hedges. Uh, Marcella planted a bunch of flowers. It just looks gorgeous out there. I appreciate all that work that went into that from so many of you. That was, that was just wonderful. So, Romans chapter 14, I appreciate this chance to preach. Did I say 14? I'm sorry, 15. Romans chapter 15. And uh, just every so often, a few times a year, just get the chance to preach on a Sunday. I like pastor leading singing, too, with the hand motions and everything. That was good. <laughs> Romans 15, and we'll just work through this here. So verse 1 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. And context, the previous chapter is kind of this big debate about who's the strong and who's the weak. And so... He says, if you are strong and you consider yourself a strong Christian, then bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. This is a Christian's mentality. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. And that applies to Christ, obviously. Verse 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, don't tell me Jesus isn't God. This is one of those verses that's right there. Even the Father, uh, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it was written. And he goes into several quotations from the Old Testament 
uh, uh, about God's mercy on the Gentiles. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Verse 10, and again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. He's not a dictator, but the Gentiles can trust in him. Verse 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of of the Holy Ghost. And let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you're good to us and that you're kind to us and that you love us and that you uh, desire us to, you desire our well-being and yet, and yet we as Christians, that not even be the highest focus. And there's some prosperity gospels and prosperity preachers and some false doctrines out there that will teach us that I ought to focus on myself first and God wants me to be happy and all these, all these things. It seems to have led to um, the wrong result, kind of the opposite of what they're hoping for. And yet you seem to be presenting something so countercultural and so different from what our nature is that um, it, it seems to work out every time when we do it your way. So help us as Christians if we're... In here and we're saved already, I pray that we're, we're challenged once more or shaken up or um, encouraged to just go a, a different path with our lives and just, just reach to other people. I pray if there's somebody in here who's been struggling with, with the concept of Christianity or has rejected it so far or is still weighing something out, I pray that they see um, your goodness to them and your calling to them once again today. We pray. Your blessing on these services and on this preaching time, especially in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Several years ago, there were some commercials on TV with this so-called sports star by the name of Leon. And he would do these post-game interviews with the reporters. The reporter would say, well, Leon, coming into the season, you had great numbers, promising career, but boy, the past three games, your team has fallen apart. Who's to blame? And he puts the microphone in Leon's face, and Leon says, Well, in this situation, I have to first look at myself. And the reporter says, Yes, the great ones always do. And there's a pause, and he says, And since you and I both know that can't be it, I'm going to have to place the blame on the media and on the fans. And he goes on to list a whole bunch of things, and he says, It's not Leon's fault. It's the lineman's fault. It's the coach's fault. It's the stadium's fault. It's the turf's fault. And he looks at the reporter. It may even be your fault, Chuck, and everybody else's fault except his own. There's another one where the after-game interview says, Leon, a, a, a crushing defeat today. What do you have to say about today's game? He said, well, we know football's a team sport. And uh, so I rest the blame squarely on the shoulders of my supporting cast. Uh, look, I've been, I've been carrying these guys all seasons. I can't do it all. And the reporter says, so your four fumbles had nothing to do with it? <laughs> he said, not if my teammates would have jumped on the ball like they were supposed to. He says, I can't do everything myself. And the reporter says, well, there's no I in team. He says, well, there ain't no we either. He says another one, Leon, a quick word, tough loss today, it's tough loss, let's talk about your dropped past first quarter. And he says, no, Chuck, let's not go there. And he says, oh, okay, second quarter, you missed a block, says Chuck, let's not go there. 
two minutes left in the half. Your number's called. It. Chuck, let's not go there. He says, okay, you made a nice play in the third quarter. All right, Chuck, let's go there. And he wants to spend his time there. And at the end of the commercial, it says, fourth game, fourth quarter, game is on the line. He says, Chuck, let's not go there. And over and over, we know that we don't want to hear our faults. We don't want to hear the bad plays. And it's like the, the professional athletes are the ones we like to pick on for things like that. And we think, obviously, you don't want to hear these things. But in some ways, you, you, you get a tainted view of these millionaires who are going on strikes because they're not getting paid enough. And the owners are fighting back against the, the players in these professional sports because they're not being paid enough. And there's labor strikes. And you think, boy... Is this really all about you when you said when you were a college athlete coming into the sport that it's all about the fans and you want to please things and you mess up and eventually all of a sudden it's like, no, let's not go there. I don't want to hear the bad news. Just let's, let's, let's jump to the highlight reel. Let's jump to the sports center highlight reel and I want to watch that over and over. Let's go there and that's what we want. That's kind of like our human nature. And maybe it's amplified when somebody's getting interviewed every single week on TV and he's, asked, he's answering all the same questions over and over. But I think if you were placed in an interview situation about the choices you make about your career or your children's career or college choices or family choices, and you think, obviously, this is what makes up our life and this is who we are and this is what we're spending all our time on, is my family, and so I've got to do what's right for my family, and I've got to do what's right for career, and, 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 and this, is, this is really what my life is about, right? All these things that make up my life. And in some ways, when you come to church and when you read the Bible, it's kind of like God just shakes up our life and says, you know what? Your life is not all about what pleases you. And, and it's not like, well, I've got to worry about myself first, and I've got to look out for myself first, and it's not like that. And, and there's sometimes this mentality that's like, oh, if I give my life to God, like the preacher's always preaching, and if I surrender my dreams and my desires and my plans to God, like I'm always hearing from the scripture, it seems like God's going to ruin my life. And, and Paul is saying in a sentence like this, no, it's the other way around that focusing on self and any version of selfishness is what's going to be the thing that ruins your life. And selflessness is the thing that is this attitude that is so rare in the world that God is saying the thing that will set you apart as Christians is selflessness. Because selfishness is so prevalent around here. And I put the, uh, the uh, title in the bulletin that a selfish church should be an oxymoron. It is according to the scriptural definition. Because to be a church and to be selfish is going completely opposite of what God has designed a church to be and church people to be and for Christians to be. It's an oxymoron. It's something that doesn't compute. There are two things that can't go together. It's like saying, oh, that's a pretty zit you have there. That's, a, that's just a beautiful pimple. I love that. There was a skit a while back when we were at youth conference and it was, it was, uh, it was an infomercial 
for this new uh, a case you could buy called Bedazzle Zit. And you could, you could embellish that zit. You could embellish that pimple on the side of your face. And you could put glitter on the side. And it's going to be the most beautiful thing ever on your face. And you think, no, that is disgusting. That's terrible. Some of you are queasy just hearing the word, you know. And it's like, that's, let's not talk about that on Sunday. That's obviously, there's no such thing as a pretty zit. I don't think there's any conceivable way you could make it pretty. Bedazzled or not. <laughs> That's terrible. And you think a a selfish church is the same thing. It's completely opposite. It should be opposite. When when God is saying for people to be selfish within a church body, that's, that's what rips things apart. And what he's focusing on is, look, let's unify together. And and he's and and Paul is constantly calling for this unity. And 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 selfishness is the thing that rips apart that unity. And he's constantly reminding us, look at it in verse number one. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. How about verse two? Let everyone please his neighbor for his good to edification. That's not selfish. That's completely selfless. Verse three, the model is Christ. For even Christ pleased not himself. This isn't about us. Verse five, now the God of patience and consolation Grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Be like-minded. Be unified in what your goal is as Christians. Be unified in this. Be like-minded one toward another. Verse 6, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. And and verse 7, wherefore, receive ye one another. Yeah, but I don't get along with him. I don't understand him. I don't get him. I have my needs and they're not meeting it. No, 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 no. It's not about us. Verse 7, receive ye one another as Christ also received us. Verse number 14, I myself am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another, building each other up and helping each other. That is, that is our goal. Anytime usually the scripture is talking about unity, it's going to not be talking about unifying all the world religions. I have so many disagreements doctrinally with Catholics and Mormons and Muslims, and we're not talking about unifying and coexisting within all of our re- religions, bringing them together in unity. That's not a doctrinal position. That's not something that we can do if we're holding to the beliefs that we have. Most of the time when you're talking about unity, we're just talking about within this church body. And, and that's what he's writing to as a church. And what their problem was may not be our problem. They were fighting over Jews and Gentiles, and there's a large portion of Jewish Christians and a large portion of Gentile Christians, and there were these divisions about what they were allowed to eat and what they were allowed to uh, uh, do on Saturdays and on Sundays and thinking, how much liberty do I have in Christ based on how they were raised as a Jew, but then after converting to Jesus Christ, there were just conflicts that were happening in the church. And what Paul is saying is, look, you that are strong, you that understand true liberty and grace of Jesus Christ that has done this, then, then bear the infirmities of the weak and put your own liberties aside and help other people. Because our lives are not about being right doctrinally. They're not about forcing our, our thoughts down somebody's throat. They're not even about, uh, 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 about even if you are right, if, if it's hurting another, another person, then set your, set your liberties aside and go serve people. That's the previous chapter. And yet in chapter 15, he's saying it over and over and over. First, forget about yourself. And that's a hard statement to hear because so much 
of, uh, there's, there's huge sections of books in the bookstore that are self-help. And many of them will focus on the self, and yet, and yet the, the message of Christianity is completely counter to that. So not only forget about myself, um, verse 1, not to please ourselves, but think about others. So not only forgetting about self, one way to help with that is to, verse number 2, let, us, uh, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. I want what I do to build you up. Verse number seven, same idea. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. That's you doing something to put others above you, to put others in front of you. We think, oh, I have to, I have to, I have to prefer Brother Ariel above myself. That guy's a jerk. That guy, he doesn't do anything for me. What am I going to get out of him? Why should I help him out? He, and, and obviously that's not true for Brother Ariel. But you look at somebody across the aisle and you go, I have somebody in mind that I'm not putting them in front of me. I know somebody here that they haven't really met my needs, and it's just not fair. It's not fair that, that I'm supposed to put you ahead of me. That doesn't seem right. Look at verse number three. This kind of blows that crybaby attitude out of the water. Look, even Christ pleased not himself. When, when I focus on self so much and I ignore other people, I'm not saying you do ignore other people, but I'm saying what Paul is saying is, is every one of us, our lives are not to be about ourselves, but even Christ didn't even please himself. Not even Christ put his own needs above, above anybody else. And, and we name his name as we call ourselves Christians. We claim to be little Christ as we are Christians. And yet the spats and the difficulties that come, uh, is that really being like Christ? When he laid everything aside, even to his own life, his own, his own heavenly divinity, he, he laid much of that aside and came to earth to die, to die. For you to, to take on flesh and 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 to go through the same desires and the same temptations and the same feelings and feel the same pain that you have felt and, and be tempted with all the same uh, 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 temptations that we are dealt with. And in verse number seven, same idea, wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Do you. Do you think yourself worthy to be accepted by God? I mean, you know you better than anybody else in here knows you. And you know what's on the inside, and you know if you're a Christian, you know that what happened at salvation was that you recognized my sinfulness. I'll never be able to earn my way to heaven. And if there's a God who sent his son Jesus to die for me and to take that sin away from me, and all I have to do is repent of my sins, be willing to turn from my sins, and turn to Jesus Christ, that's what salvation is? God says, if you do that, then I will give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I will accept you into glory because I'm not accepting you in your sin. I'm accepting you whose sin has been covered by Jesus Christ. So I'm accepting Jesus in you. And verse 7, oh, this is so good. Look at it. For Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Christ received and accepted you for who you were. And he's given you his righteousness. And because of that, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can walk right into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. 
and, and make our petitions known to God. And we can talk to God and have a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. And yet there's somebody, there's somebody that you say, I will not accept him. No, no, no. He's saying, look, you, you ought to be the most accepting of people because you know you're accepted by Jesus Christ. You know what you are before Jesus Christ and you know that he's accepted you. And so be like-minded one toward another. Put, put that same concept in. And, and the rest of the verses, 8 through 12, are all these Old Testament quotes where the Jews used to think of the Gentiles as Gentile dogs. They were, they were somehow below us because God had chosen us. And, and so being raised with this mentality that the Gentiles were somehow lesser of people. And Paul says from the Psalms and from the law and from, um, <coughs> from the prophets, over and over he gives this list of quotes, verse number Verse number eight, uh, Jesus Christ was a minister of circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause, I'll confess thee among the Gentiles. The Gentiles, yeah, these undeserving, the most undeserving of people. And the Jewish reader might have looked at this in this verse 10. Again, he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And, and over and over throughout the Old Testament, he's highlighting many references to God's goodness in all of time. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles. In the Old Testament, when you read it in the Psalms, you'll read words like nations, all ye nations. This is in Deuteronomy. These are quotes from Psalms. These are quotes, verse 12, from Isaiah. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. And in him shall the Gentiles trust. And it's like he's saying, look, it's not just this little Jewish mentality that you should have, but all throughout time we've been serving a God who has a heart for other people, who are the lesser of people. If you view them as lesser people, that's not God's view. And he quotes Isaiah, and he quotes David, and other psalmists, and he quotes Moses in Deuteronomy, and he's saying, look, this has spanned centuries and millennia that God has always been good to all people everywhere. And to think that, that God is not good or to think that my life is about only me and, and that I ought to focus on myself. It's like Paul is driving this home that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about unifying with other people by lifting them up ahead of you. And you say, what's the big deal about unity? Why should we care about unifying? Why should we care about that? Look what's at stake here. Verse number five. Now, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Oh, this is verse 6. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I misquoted that earlier, but Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's, there's, there's nothing more countercultural than selflessness. There's nothing more... There's, there's nothing more glorifying to God, to use the terms that he's using here, than for a bunch of people to say, I know my natural tendency is to focus on myself, but I'm going to, with one mind and one mouth, glorify not myself, but God. I want everything that we say together as a people. When people look at the outs from the outside at a church, at a group of people who say they're Christians and who band together every single Sunday and Wednesday, and they meet together to say, you know what, we're worshiping somebody bigger than us. And they spend time throughout their week with other people saying things like, you know what, praise, 
praise God, he's given me this great job and this health. And things come out of your mouth that don't come out of normal people's mouth. And it's like, who is that? And what did they have that's so peculiar? And what makes them so strange and different? And it's like Paul is saying, this, this is what glorifying God is about. And that, that word glorify is just, it, it, it's just what you're doing as a Christian is allowing other people to have a high opinion of God. Does what you say throughout the week give others a high opinion of God? Does what you do throughout the week give others a high opinion of God? And it's not just, a, it, it's not just something you believe on the inside. That's not glorifying God. That might be a great belief system that you have. That might be a mentality that you know is on the inside in your mind. It's, but it's not just a personal opinion that you hold. Glorifying God cannot happen only internally. Glorifying God is, is like mounting this beautiful piece of artwork for other people to see. My sister Anna, it, my sister-in-law Anna is here in the services today. She was an art major at Bob Jones University. And I got to admit, I do not understand fine art, you know, and art galleries and all that kind of stuff. There's probably some reason for all that stuff. But I look at some, some modern art, you know, I look at some of that kind of stuff and go, I'm not... I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling anything when I look at this picture. But artists understand, and they get it, and there's some reason behind it. But it's like, boy, they'll pay thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars for art and artwork and this, in, and this inherent beauty that's wrapped up into the workings and the meanings behind these art pieces. And, and, and the whole goal is to mount them for others to see, to glorify that artwork. What Paul is saying is that as we glorify, this is a mount, this is a mounted display for everybody to see. I love that we have these beautiful flower arrangements. Donna Leibel has put together so many of these for us, and every single month these things switch out. And I think this is, this is just something that God has, has blessed Donna with. And it's not just something that was on the inside of Donna, that she used to be a florist. And so she's glorying in the past, glorifying uh, her floor arrangements are not just her talking about being a florist when she was younger, but it's talking about putting, putting the artwork, putting the beauty on display. It's not about the glory days. It's not just about the past of what God has done for you. But what Paul is saying is, look, as you are selfless day to day, that is how church people glorify God by constantly reminding people, my life is not my own, but I'm putting God on display through my life. It's not just about the past of what God has done in the past, but in the future and every single day, I'm choosing to glorify God through my actions. I'm just talking about the way we live. Things we say, the places we go, and the, talk, the, the things we talk about. This is a life of faith that we as Christians live, saying, I don't know how I'm going to mount God. I don't know I'm going to be able to mount the artwork. I don't feel like a beautiful person. I don't feel like a really glorifying person. I don't know that I have anything to offer God. But God isn't saying, no, God isn't saying for you to be beautiful. God is for you to say, you know what, just give God the glory by being selfless and let him be beautiful. Selfishness is saying, look how beautiful of a flower I am. And notice me, selflessness is saying, if I can build other people up, then God is saying, that's how I get the glory, by, by Christians, not focusing on self. 
by humans whose natural tendency is to be selfish by saying this is not about me, but it's about other people. And it's not about a personality trait. It's not about a personal quality. But over and over, especially in the previous chapters, we're talking about this thing that is not about me. And in a church ministry, we'll have all kinds of ministries. And they're called ministries because they're service opportunities. They're chances to help other people. And Sundays might be the primary way to do something like that. And you might not think, you might not think the nursery is a very glorious ministry. It's, it's not a floral ministry, that's for sure. It doesn't smell like flowers. There's nothing flowery about the nursery. But you know what? The nursery workers and, and, and probably scores of nursery workers, many of you in here that take rotations, say, you know what? I love those babies and all. I don't like the poopy diapers, but I love the babies. And what I'm doing it is not for myself, but it's for other people. I want to be able to serve other people. And the Sunday school teachers that pour over the lessons. I just, I haven't been in a Sunday school class without teaching one for years now. And I got to sit through Brother Greg's lesson. That was great. I don't know if it was great because my brother wasn't there teaching. That might have been it. That might have been it. But it was a wonderful class. I loved it. It was just encouraging to be in there. But the work that goes into that, that's just that's a, uh, somebody that's serving other people. And we had several teacher changes this morning, new classes starting with the kids. And they poured so much time into that. And they're, 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 they're doing so much. I'm talking about the work day yesterday is, is people that they're like, I don't know if I can glorify God. How do I glorify God? Just by being a selfless servant of Jesus Christ. And spending time, and these are the things that take time and effort, and then this desire to build other people up. And, and witnessing on Saturdays, and if it's just in your regular course of life, Brother Santiago is witnessing to one of the workers across the street, that's just in the regular conversation. If it's at the organized times on Saturdays, that's being selfless of myself and giving of myself. That's, that's, that's what glorifies God. And so it puts God on display by saying, I don't think I'm gifted for this, but if God wants this of me, then I, I guess I can do that. And God's saying, yes, that's beautiful, that's precious, that's wonderful, that's glorifying to me. Maybe it's through giving. Say, I don't know if I can glorify too much through this, but I'm talking about we had a girl come through, uh, through our church maybe a couple Wednesday nights ago asking for help. We emptied our wallets, helped him out. She's raising her five young siblings five little brothers, and she's a hairstylist, and, and, and came back, didn't quite cover it, kind of a stopgap, and some of our deacons were able to help. And you say, I give so that we can help people, so that we can um, encourage people along their way, and, and maybe they can get their, their feet under them someday, and maybe they can give it back or pay it forward. Our job is not to know, oh, well, do you know if she was conning you, or do you know if she's lazy? That's not our job. Our job is to edify other people and to build other people up. I don't think Jesus ever analyzed people for whether they were a con man or whether they were going to use the gift that he gave them appropriately. I think he just gave and gave and gave and gave of himself. And with him as our model, I don't think we should be cynical about giving. And I love that people come up to me all the time, hey, if you, if you need anybody, I mean, if you need any help for camp, I know the teenagers do fundraisers, but if it doesn't quite cover it, then let me know and we'll do that. I'm talking about just straight up money. It's such a simple thing that God has blessed so many people with and it's the regular consistent giving or if it's those one-time gifts, then that is a way to glorify God. In the military ministry, Pastor mentioned, in the jail ministry, those are ways to glorify God, not expecting anything in return. But man, those guys, 
who go into the jail ministry, Brother Reuben, you're just a beautiful flower. <laughs> just a wonderful, wonderful picture of God. Because they're not getting anything out of those guys. They're not taking an offering in the prison, you know, to try to, to, try to get something back from them. We're talking about just finding ways, finding ways to use your life to make a beautiful picture of God. Alicia asked us last, uh, uh, several months ago now, and we finally got these little, these little tracks back at the track rack that just say thank you. And on the inside it says thank you for your service, and you're supposed to leave them with a tip inside for your server at the restaurants, and anybody that's done like that has a little note for that. But then the gospel message in there, that's ways that you can look for ways to glorify God. And say, you know what, thank you for your service. And give a generous tip. Well, don't be cheap now. If you use those tracks, <laughs> tell them you're Mormon or something. You know? <laughs> but I'm talking about using ways to glorify God. And everything you post asks this question. Is if I click submit or if I click post or if I send this picture, am I self-glorifying or am I selfish? Am I being selfless about this? Look at verse 13 and I'll close. The God of hope, now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. I don't know, if I give and I give and I give, I'll just, I'll just burn out, won't I? No, 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 no. The God of hope will fill you with joy and peace in believing. That ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. This is not a self-power that you're trying to generate by giving hoping to get back something, they say, no, the Holy Spirit's going to be the one that empowers you. God's going to be the one that gets the glory through you. One commentator said this, becoming a Christian means leaving a whole way of life and in faith starting a new one. Not having been along that way before, the, be the beginner cannot know where it will lead. He can only go ahead in hope and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Church and church member, are you, are you living an oxymoron? A selfish church member should be an oxymoron. I'll just be one of those things that says, what am I doing? What am I saying to glorify God this week? This week, Stand, if you would, please. We'll offer just a simple invitation. 476, we'll sing as you're all on the altar.